Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. I'm excited they have a guest today and they've allowed me to introduce the guest. And that is Gary Callahan, Senior Vice President of Inland Securities Corporation. Inland Securities Corporation is responsible for developing sales and new broker-dealer relationships in the New York, New Jersey region of the country. Gary began his career at Inland in 2016. Prior to joining Inland, Mr. Callahan has marketed and successfully raised capital for alternative investments since 2004. Mr. Callahan graduated from Rutgers University with a BA in communications in 1988. He holds Series 7, 6, 66, and 63 licenses with the Financial Industries Regulatory Authority, which is FINRA. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good morning, Gary. Gary, thanks for being here. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for having me. No, this is great. I you know I, I know this is going to be a great podcast because we have a fellow Rutgers graduate on on the call. I didn't know you went to Rutgers. I nice. did myself, so I know that this is going to be just the best podcast episode. Here we go, Jersey boys, <laughs> fellow Scarlet Knight. Yes. Yeah. Well, th- thanks for being on here, Gary. This morning, um, we're going to talk about today. Uh, the reason why we had Gary uh, on the podcast today is is Gary's an expert, and and the company that he works for Inland are experts in the 1031 exchange space. And that's a tax code provision that's been in the tax code for a while. And I know, Gary, you'll probably uh, elaborate on that. But this is a a tax code section that we wanted to cover on a specific podcast because, number one, it has a lot of benefits to many of our families and families that we come across in terms of um, providing a very nice tax benefit for uh, real estate investors. But it's also a tax code provision that, uh, believe it or not, many people are still not familiar with, uh, even though it's been in the tax code for a long time. So we thought that having a specific podcast just on this topic would be really, really helpful for our listeners. And obviously, Gary, having you on um, as the expert uh, is is just you know um, uh, icing on the cake. So uh, maybe we can start, Gary. Can you walk our listeners through the tax code section 1031 and what it is and when it was formed and maybe some history? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, 1031 tax code actually was uh, brought into the U.S. Treasury tax code back in 1921. So we're about to celebrate our 100th year of a tax code provision that allows for investors that own either business property or investment property so obviously it does not pertain to personal residence unless that personal residence had been used in some square footage in the capacity of a business or investment property. But that aside, it's typically really oriented towards the investment property or business property that is highly appreciated and or fully depreciated. And if they were to sell that property, there are four line item of taxation that could reduce the net sale proceeds from that sale unless they uh, executed a 1031 exchange. And that provides that investor or that prospective exchanger the ability to defer those four line item taxations uh, in perpetuity. Really, you want to defer until you die. 
but it does allow for that provision as it currently stands now. Okay, great. Yeah, th- this um, th- you mentioned sort of highly appreciated uh, property, and this is really where a lot of for our families this comes in. Many times they have had a, a piece of real estate that they've either, let's say they've in, inherited from uh, a, a parent you, you know, decades ago, or they purchased the property decades ago, and they've you know, continued to own that property, they've rented it out, and maybe for one reason or another, they, they want to sell the property and they want to move on or, or transition to uh, maybe a different type of real estate. And again, as you mentioned, Gary, the sale of this of this property results in, you know, oftentimes a, lo- a large capital gain exposure, particularly if you're in a high tax state like California or uh, New Jersey, where we are. There's there's a lot of tax exposure that many of of our families they 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 really don't want to incur, and this 1031 exchange provision allows uh, the avoidance of that tax. Um, so, can you outline a little bit about how this provision works in in a real life scenario, Gary? Yeah, sure. So if um, let's just say that somebody 35 years ago bought a an investment property for $100,000 and every year as an investment property, hopefully their accountant was depreciating that real estate asset. And over time, especially certainly over this hypothetical example of 35 years, um, that depreciation becomes very, very impactful in terms of tax deferral on the rental income being earned, but eventually that tax deferral wanes off. So thereby it no longer is a tax, call it deferred in, incentivized investment property. But more to the point, let's say that somebody approaches that owner and offers them now a million dollars for that asset and they agree to sell it. Well, if that investor sold that asset for a million dollars and their $100,000 cost basis through depreciation ended up with a zero cost basis, $1 million of those taxes would go through these following four line items, which are depreciation recapture tax at 25%, a federal capital gains tax at 20%, a state capital gains tax, and I'll just use the national average that we compute when illustrating the power of, of 1031 exchanges at a rate of 5.1%. And then there is the investment or Medicare tax at five point, or excuse me, 3.8%. So if you were to total up the total dollars by not doing a 1031 exchange, you would have written a check the following tax year for $314,000, or maybe looking at it another way, you'd be left with net sale proceeds. And that's after all, you know, any brokerage commissions, title fees, and other related uh, selling costs, about $686,000 net. And if you then look at it by doing a 1031 exchange, you'd be left with the entire amount of a million dollars of net sale proceeds. So the power of utilizing the 1031 tax code certainly allows those investors, those prospective exchangers to have more money to work with by doing the exchange versus not doing the exchange. Hey, Gary, what, uh, this is John. What, what always amazes me when, when we work with our families, and you're probably, you probably would agree, that sometimes I get surprised if people really, really know that tax, you know, you know, the 1031 exchange exists in the tax code 
we had a, we had a client currently, I, I think what, my, a couple years ago, he called us on the phone. He said, hey, I sold my building uh, at the beach, at, you know, a big commercial property. And he was getting ready, prepared to put away $500,000 in taxes for state and fed. And I said, Bill, I said, was there, was there a discussion about a 1031 exchange on that property? He goes, what's that? And so I said, well, did your attorney and accountant bring that up? He said, I, I don't know what that is. So when Michael and I explained it to him, he went, okay, I didn't know about that. Let's go back to my CPA. So Michael and I had a call with the CPA, and he did not recommend the 1031 exchange because he didn't think he qualified. And I went, excuse me? So we went through this gyration and, and worked with the CPA, ended up saving him that $500,000 in taxes. And every Christmas, he writes us a love letter. <laughs> he says, thanks very much. You know, but, but, that, but that's I'm sure you've heard those stories before. It always amazes me that, uh, I mean, you don't have to qualify for this to a large degree, but why are CPAs sometimes not aware of this? Or is it's just this is a one-off with a, maybe a CPA that didn't understand the taxes on the, on the 10th uh, John, I, I wish it were a, a one-off, but I, in addition to my uh, – responsibilities as a 1031 consultant for the financial advisory community. Um, I also do a host and even in a pandemic last year, I think I logged uh, 234 continuing educational programs for accountants, real estate professionals, and uh, uh, the legal profession, more to the point of estate planning attorneys and uh, real estate attorneys. And when I get done with my presentations, primarily with accountants and real estate uh, attorneys, they come up to me at the end of the program and thank me for the information, which is nice of them. But the real shocking statement, almost to a literal quote, person after person after person, is that they say to me, I never knew this ever existed. So it, it is. It, it takes an army to get the education out to inform these professionals because unfortunately to John and Mike, you typically are not the first ones that get the phone call when somebody is selling an investment or real estate property that qualifies for a 1031 exchange. They are reaching out to those other two professional capacities first. And if they're unaware, then it might be too late by the time you get to them to advise them differently as you did with the, the example that you just shared. So um, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it is a growing uh, topic. And I think even more now we've seen at the change of the election um, that the frenetic pace of 1031 exchanges is picking up. And I, to give you a, a, an example of that, in 2019, 1031 exchanges were Googled 40,000 times per month. Uh, in 2020, that number increased to 50,000 times per month. So the education and information is getting out there, but it still takes a, a, an enormous effort. And oftentimes we find that the if the accountant is unaware, then they won't recommend it because they do not want to look uh, uninformed in front of their clients. So therefore they do not bring it up. And it's unfortunate. And to your point, it could be very costly to that prospective exchanger uh, in the long run. Yeah, and, and 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 we at Copper Beach are generational uh, planners, so we go hundred years out in our family strategies. So when you when we talk to Bill about not only do you have the capital gain tax savings when you do the ten thirty one exchange, you also on your passing you got to step up in basis. So when your family sells that asset, there are no taxes due. 
So it's, it's also creating value for the generations, and he really loved that because no one really walked him through um, that opportunity he had to move wealth generationally. So it, it's a fascinating uh, process when we go through that. Now, I, I'm, I'm asking one question because I know it's going to come up. It comes up a lot with us. Okay, well, this, this, this legal deal around the real estate, this 1031 exchange, under the current administration, are they going to change it? Is that something they're going to look at? To your point, uh, Gary, if 50,000 people are looking at it a month, is that a red flag or is that a flag to the administration to say, hey, there's some tax dollars there, we can change it to code? What's your read on that? Yeah, so initially back in February when the candidate Joe Biden uh, submitted his tax policy and other programs he would bring out upon his election, one of the things he certainly cited was the elimination of the 1031 tax code. And we first have felt we kind of re- knee-jerk react and said, uh-oh, now we need to marshal our forces and, and educate Washington, you know, the Senate, uh, the House, um, and even quite possibly the, the president himself. However, um, we then took a step back and said, well, let's look at this very logically. As we stand right now, obviously, we're still in a pandemic. Um, the unemployment and or the economy is not at its, at its peak. So we believe that even if President Biden were to follow through on his claim, and, and we really felt also that he might have been just sort of poking uh, President Trump in the ribs because he is a real estate you know, magnet. But that aside, even if he were to follow through, we said certainly in the first two years, there's no way he could get to that type of tax reform because of the pandemic and because of the economy, his focus and attention is on those two large issues at hand. So that would take us then to the midterm elections in 2022. And if that were to switch or uh, put the balance um, not in the Democrats' favor, then that also would call it retard his ability to push that type of legislation through to eliminate the 1031 tax code. And, and then also, when you look at the exchangers that are out there across this great nation, uh, it's really the middle class that utilizes the 1031 tax code. And the average 1031 exchange is right around $531,000. So, and then you overlay the fact that when you think of a 1031 exchange back in 1921, it was put into the tax code as an economic stimulator. This was not a called a loophole for the rich. Um, And why do I say that? Because when somebody executes a 1031 exchange, when they sell their property and they replace with a property, typically what they have replaced and purchased, they're going to upgrade that real estate or sometimes they even spend more because if their value of their real estate went up for them to be a candidate for an exchange, they have more money on their purchase side of the exchange and therefore they're going to either buy more, which then also, or upgrade more. So think about the upgrades. You're hiring all the trade professions. You're thinking of the industries. The tentacles are so far and wide on a real estate transaction that it touches just about every profession and industry in this country. It's just, when you really think hard about it, it, it just amazes the job growth and the economic stimulation that a simple 1031 exchange executes. So. Uh, We also believe, and strangely enough, we sort of surveyed 
the 100 senators and the 400 plus uh, House members and the top 50 uh, politicians in D.C. have all done a 1031 exchange sometime in their in their careers. So they're well aware of it. They don't want to see it also go away because of their called private real estate investment holdings. And to eliminate that would be a major tax burden on the very people that are touting to uh, eliminate the 1031 tax code. So we don't think there's enough wind in the sails to see it go through. And therefore, that's why us as an organization are continuing to bring replacement property structures through a Delaware statutory trust that um, will enable exchanges to to uh, experience the benefits of the 1031 tax code. Yeah, that's a good um, bridge into into a structure of these. I know there's there's uh, time elements if you want to do a 1031 exchange yourself with a with an attorney or a CPA to find the property and and, and execute the transaction versus a trust structure. Can you walk through both those those designs or those ideas? Yeah, sure. So again, uh, one of the reasons why we at Inland sent our legal team to the IRS back in 2001 was all about demography. Uh, Today, we have over 10,000 people turning 65 years of age in this country. So if you think about the real estate owner um, that maybe 25, 30 years ago when they were had more vigor and and, and activity in their life, they're in their 30s, their 40s. Now they're in their pre-retirement or retirement age. And they've been dealing with what we call the terrible T's, the toilets, tenants, taxes, and trash. And they say, you know what? I want to get out from underneath this active landlord responsibility. But if I utilize the 1031 tax code as it's written prior to 2004, I have to replace with an investment property. And I'm still carrying around that little red toolbox dealing with toilets, tenants, taxes, and trash. So... That was our motivation to say there's we've got to bring to the attention of the IRS to offer an alternative structure that allows real estate owners to still utilize the 1031 tax code, but do it in a structure. What what came out of our petitioning over three years, it took uh, in 2004, the IRS agreed and issued a revenue ruling letter 2004-86 that legitimized the very structure of a Delaware statutory trust for as a replacement property vehicle. And again, giving those prospective exchangers that option in addition to possibly still being an active landlord. Yeah, I think these structures are very unique because as you pointed out, Gary, that that could be somewhat of an impediment um, to doing a 1031 exchange, the, con- the, the thought that I'm, if I want to participate in this 1031 exchange, I have to replace my existing real estate property with one that I'm also actively managing on the business side. So these DST structures really can provide a, a, a very nice outlet for that family or that real estate investor who doesn't want to deal with those terrible T's anymore uh, and still wants to be able to participate in this 1031 exchange. They're, they're pretty creative um, um, vehicles. They are. And, and I would say, you know, the, the five or four terrible T's I just outlined, the DST, and I always like to say in a cute way, provides the positive T's, uh, more time, more uh, travel, maybe teeing off or playing tennis. In other words, It's clearly driving in a way that provides a lifestyle change for a retiree to still, again, utilize the benefits of an 1031 exchange, 
but now it conforms to their lifestyle as they wish maybe to spend more time with grandchildren, maybe to travel uh, without worrying about phone calls in the middle of the night or tax policy changing their ability to raise rents or uh, any other situational uh, experience that they had while an active landlord. So really the difference between being an active landlord or a DST owner is one is active, the other one is passive, meaning that we at Inland are dealing with the four terrible T's on your behalf. The only similarity that the replacement property would have between active and passive is they're both receiving rental income, us in the form of a, of a distribution, a yield, versus the actual rent collection coming in from your tenant or tenants, um, depending on what you own. Yeah, the other piece I love about the DST design, the, the trust structure, you get diversification of assets because everyone's always plagued with, well, what property do I find to do my exchange if I don't use a trust structure? And it's usually one property, and that property could be volatile depending on location, location, location. So I like the diversification. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that the concept in your trust? Absolutely. So at the first moment, you know, so people say, all right, what is they're talking about something I've never heard of DSTs. And again, it also lends itself to the accounting and legal profession. But that aside, um, for the listening audience, a Delaware statutory trust is just a, a structure, an entity that provides a, a an institution or a real estate operating company like us at Inland to go out and acquire uh, institutional high quality occupied, stabilized real estate assets in a variety of sectors. It could be multifamily, class A apartments. It could be office. It could be retail. It could be self-storage. It could be medical office buildings. So the point, or industrial property. So A, the number one diversity is I can take my 1031 exchange dollars. If I had a million dollars, I could break that up into four different DSTs and four different real estate sectors to achieve a real estate sector diversification. And to your point, uh, John, we also have the ability, these properties, we just, we just don't, we're headquartered out of Oak Brook, Illinois. We just don't work within the state of Illinois. We're in a geographical footprint uh, in 46 of the 50 of this great country. So we have a geographical footprint, and that geographical diversity is another benefit to achieving diversification. So um, that's one of the powers and benefits of a Delaware statutory trust as a replacement property for 1031 exchangers. Gary, you, you touched on the various kinds of, in this case, the DST, uh, the, ty the types of, of property that could be utilized here. You mentioned multifamily, industrial um, uh, the office. We're, we're obviously right now going through quite a bit of a transition in terms of the real estate world with being in the pandemic. And you read articles day after day about the future of the commercial real estate market and with people working from home and a lot of offices and companies shutting down. Can you shed some light on sort of where we are in the real estate industry or maybe some considerations that our listeners can think of if they want to get into this space? Yeah, so it's an excellent question, and, and and I think it really, you know, prior to call it March of last year, when any real estate sponsor or real estate manager never considered and didn't have to underwrite for a global health pandemic, now we all are. Um, but before we were underwriting for a global health pandemic, presently, 
we also were acquiring assets or what we discovered where there were certain sectors in the commercial real estate marketplace that actually was very resilient to the pandemic. And one of those was the self-storage sector. Um, self-storage actually thrives in what they call the four Ds, whether it's dislocation, disability, divorce, or death. And we certainly had a lot of dislocation from the pandemic and the demand for occupancy in the self-storage marketplace was incredible. In, a, in addition to that, we went through the global credit crisis. We have about a billion dollars of assets under management in the self-storage sector alone with about 60 total properties. And um, out of that, we went through the global credit crisis in 2007 through 2009. And we also obviously went through this financial stress test of COVID-19 and the rent collections, the occupancy were unchanged. And we were just amazed how resilient this asset class is. In addition to that, so was senior living, not nursing homes, but independent private senior living. And we discovered that when you think of the senior living tenant, they're living on social security, pension plans, uh, IRA distributions. They're not, they're not dependent on employment. So again, the occupancy because of the demography that I talked about earlier, but more importantly, their ability to pay rent was unchanged and did not affect our asset in that sector as well. Uh, multifamily, that took a little bit more effort, but again, it demonstrated a resiliency because we all need a rooftop over our head. So therefore, uh, that shined very well, at least in our company and our portfolio of commercial real estate. Yeah, the, all of those areas, I, it, I, I would think traditionally, maybe the multifamily, but a lot of clients that we've talked to, families we've talked to, when you mention something like self-storage to them, it's, it's almost like this light bulb goes off because they never really even thought that that was something that, A, they could invest in on the real estate side. And, and obviously having this DST structure uh, allows them to really get exposure to that space, I would assume, uh, much easier than if they went out and tried to buy their own self-storage facility. Um, it's probably pretty difficult to do that. So what I like about these DST structures as well is just the ability to be able to give an investor access to these areas that they might not otherwise be able to, to get on their own. Hey, Gary, we often, we often get a question about, um, okay, if I get into one of these structures, A, how long do I have to stay in it and what happens at the end of the, the program? Uh, can you walk through... Sure. Um, you know, that's the, the, the paradox. It's understandable, but it is a paradox in the following way. When I am engaged with clients uh, sitting side by side with um, uh, fiduciaries and financial advisors like yourselves, uh, they often will ask, well, how long do I have to be in this? And, and I almost feel like we're sticking them in a jail cell and saying, you got to be in here for a period of time. You're never getting exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I always try to turn around and say, well, how long do you want to defer your tax bill? And if they say, well, I'd like to do it in, in perpetuity if I can, I said, well, then that's how long you want to be in this. The, the overall objective when doing a 1031 exchange is you want to think of it like you want to defer until you die, because you brought up the point earlier that then the generational or estate planning benefit is that step up and basis, which then the beneficiaries of that real estate uh, 1031 exchange is stepped up where they pay no taxes. And so that's the good news. 
But we still have people say, okay, but I, what if I want access to my money? Uh, they are illiquid securities, uh, the Delaware Statutory Trust. For us at Inland, we've been averaging about a five and a half year illiquidity period um, uh, on our investments. And we've had a demonstrated track record of well over 50% of our uh, programs have gone what we refer to as full cycle, i.e. have generated a liquidity event for investors. And, and I, if you don't mind me expanding just a quick second, in addition to a full liquidity, we also could experience a partial liquidity because Delaware Statutory Trust can either have a single property of high quality institutional grade or it could have multiple properties. And if we're in a DST that has multiple properties, maybe a pension plan or an endowment or an investment banker or a REIT looks at two of the five properties that makes up a Delaware Statutory Trust offering and makes us an offer on two of those assets and we sell them now we've created a partial liquidity event for that exchanger for them to decide what they want to do upon receiving proceeds from a partial or full liquidity event guys this is all great um one question that always comes up and i think it's important that perhaps you touch on this is the the timeline of a 1031 exchange because i know that there are some deadlines that if you want to participate in this 1031 exchange structure, you do have to meet pretty strict deadlines um, that the IRS uh, lays out um, with this with this tax code section. Can you touch on these deadlines to some degree? Uh, sure. Yeah, there's there's two significant timelines. Uh, they have remained unchanged for uh, decades now, and that is when you sign your last closing document on your relinquished property, you have 180 days to replace your investment property like kind in order to defer that tax liability we spoke about earlier. However, in the first 45 days of the 180, you have to identify what your replacement property or properties will be. And one of the significant conveniences of a Delaware statutory trust is the fact that you could close on a Monday morning and have your 1031 exchange completed if the Delaware Statutory Trust or Trusts is your replacement vehicle by Thursday of that same week. That's how expedient your 1031 exchange can be completed. So I bring that up for two reasons. The biggest and greatest phone call I get typically on weekends, because the 180 days is not business days, it's actually calendar days, weekends and holidays included. And most people think 45 days, I've got time to go shopping and find my, at least communicate what my identified properties will be. And then sometime around Saturday morning, about 6.15 a.m., my phone lights up and people say, we ran out of time. We need to identify a property. Otherwise, we're going to be disqualified to have to pay a significant tax bill. Can we identify one of your DSTs? And then that's when I get my team and we rally and at least get the property identified. So you can identify typically as many properties as you like in that 45 days. You can change your mind. You can add to it. But after 45 days, you are locked in with whatever you have identified, which leaves you with 135 more days to close on that property. Now, for people that want to utilize and still be an active landlord and utilize the 1031 tax code, 
if they identify the property and typically the national average of properties that are identified, that's somebody that wants to still be an active landlord, they only identify one property. And you're really betting the ranch that you're going to actually get through to the closing table before the, the next 135 days approaches. There's a lot of things that could go wrong. Title issues, environmental issues, financing issues, building integrity issues. So if something breaks down and that closing does not take place, you now have a uh, tax liability just waiting for you to deal with because now you're, you have a failed exchange. You could, if you still had the motivation to be a landlord, I always recommend to, to the professionals and even to the exchangers, just list a DST as one of your identified properties and treat it like an insurance policy. It's there as a backup so that if your property fails to close, you at least will not have to pay a significant tax bill. The DST may not be what you really wanted, but I could tell you, you will certainly will want that versus maybe writing a check for a half million dollars or more because your exchange failed. The second benefit, you know, so the second benefit also is think about the person that relinquishes the properties relying on the dependable monthly income of rental income coming to them. And then they're going to go out and be an active landlord and they're, they identify their property. They're doing all the right things within the designated time frame. But how long does it take to actually close on a property? I survey real estate professionals all the time. How long does it take? I hear numbers early as 60 days to close, 90 days, 100 days, whatever the number of days is, whether it's two months, three months, or four months, that's two months, three months, or four months that they're going without any income coming into them that they were getting before they sold the property. The convenience and expeditious nature or characteristic of a Delaware statutory trust, close on Monday morning, done with your, dia, your 1031 exchange Thursday afternoon of the same week, and your rental income or that income is already being turned on, and you're not going 60 days or longer without that dependable monthly income. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, Gary, because I, I think pretty much every going trying to think I think every one of our families that have gone through this 1031 exchange are probably like most of the of the clients that you work with they need that rental income they, that's what they're that that's a huge part of their you know their income and to not have it for four months that's a really good point that you know, that that could be a problem for sure one last question Gary and, and, and I always stay in the estate planning side because that's uh, yeah that's my focus um, as an advisor uh, who can own a 1031 exchange? I know we often talk about trusts uh, with our clients and own assets and trust. There's no problem having a real estate owned in a trust and do a 1031 exchange. Am I correct? Uh, that is correct. The only recognizable change you have to pay attention to is uh, outside of a irrevocable trust, um, the accreditation requirement increases from the million dollars to $5 million of net worth, excluding personal residence. So that's the only caveat to pay attention to. But in terms of whatever the structure is in buying or owning a DST, a Delaware statutory trust is permissible outside of a corporation. If you, I mean, corporations can do an exchange, but it, it's not a, it's not an ideal structure to uh, have a corporation own a Delaware statutory trust through a, a 1031 exchange. 
Well, Guy, this was really, uh, I, I had a lot of fun doing this podcast because it's always such good information. It's, it's information that, again, uh, many families or, or real estate investors perhaps have heard of, but they might not know a lot of the details and particularly the DST structure. I think, you know, many people have probably not heard of that at all as an option for them to facilitate this 1031 exchange. So I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with everybody here today. This has been, uh, this has been great. Excellent job, Gary. Yeah, it's my pleasure and, and happy to do so. It only continues to get the word out for the purpose, the benefit, the convenience and flexibility that DSTs and more importantly, the preservation of the 1031 tax code for the economic stimulation uh, and the job growth, as well as um, uh, the ability to continue to provide a tax deferral solution for the middle class in this country. Yeah, this this has been great. Thanks so much, Gary. Hopefully we'll have you on soon. We can maybe probably dig in, I'm sure, a lot more on this topic. So maybe we'll have you back sometime soon. I'd love to. Thank you for having me. Guys, this was fantastic. I, I'd like to speak to the audience just for a moment. John and Michael have been doing this for a very long time. The podcasts are stacking. They, they have celebrated their 50th episode. And I, I hope that you're you're seeing what they're doing. They're giving you so much education and so much information. Um, they're not holding back. Uh, but what it also does is it brings up a ton of questions. Uh, so please don't hesitate. Reach out to Michael and John and their team. Uh, guys, what's the best way to get a hold of you when, when people have questions? Because the nice thing is you can rewind a podcast and you can, you can listen to something again, but still it's not necessarily going to answer the specific question they have. So if they have those questions, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. They can call our office. It's area code 856-988-8300. All right. And Gary, I want to thank you so much for being a fantastic guest. I know due to regulatory uh, issues and licensing issues um, that anybody who would like to speak to you about um, what you spoke about today, they actually need to contact Michael and John uh, to start that process and ask those questions to get the ball rolling. Is that correct? It is. I, 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 my, my, my role and responsibility is to be a consultant. So where if John and Michael need that consultative guidance, we at Inland, my team, we provide a complete concierge service to support nice. uh, Michael and John in their efforts to help their clients. So essentially, we help John and Michael's clients with their 1031 exchange. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right, guys, thank you so much. John and Michael, again, thank you for bringing Gary on. John, uh, personal note, we've talked on previous podcasts about wine, and you were so gracious to send me <laughs> some bottles to try. And and we spoke before the podcast that uh, my family and I enjoyed one of those already, and I, I'm still writing my reports for you, by the way, <laughs> on all our notes. But thank you for that. Uh, your generosity knows no bounds, and I appreciate you again, again bringing Gary on. You got it. Thanks, Eric. You bet. And the last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. Inland Securities Corp. is not affiliated with American Portfolios and Copper Beach Financial Group.